This week on episode 492 of Priority One, we trek out pirates, interviews, and podcasts with some of the leading ladies of Trek, Star Trek Discovery's season three finale, and the state of Star Trek gaming. You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 492 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded live on Tuesday, January 12th, 2021, and available for download or streaming on Friday, January 15th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elio. I'm Kat. I'm Tony. And in our live stream booth is our live stream technician, Brandon. Hi, guys. There's your live stream headphones, your live stream microphone, live stream poster. I am all set. Captains, each week between episodes, we love to engage in conversations with you, our listeners, on places like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So if you aren't already following us on any of those, be sure to look us up. There we post things like community questions, special announcements, and more. Just search for Priority One Podcast on your favorite social media app and you will find us. You can reach us at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Captains, I say it every week, and I want to go into 2020 repeating it time and again. Priority One isn't in it for the money. We're not here to make all the dollar dollar bills, y'all. This is a community-driven production. We are all volunteers who donate our time and talents to producing the quality content that you've come to expect every Friday here at Priority One Podcast. But we can't do it without you. So if you happen to be an audio editor or are interested in learning, if you happen to dabble in video editing, we need help with that too. Social media could always use a hand. If you want to be part of our community to produce this show, then trek us out. Visit us at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Up at the very top, there's a Join the Team button and a form that you can fill out. But joining the team isn't the only way that you can help produce the show. If it's in the cards for you, we'd certainly appreciate a financial contribution from you via Patreon. That's right. You can either visit the link on our page or go to patreon.com forward slash priority one to contribute to us in any amount that you feel comfortable with. However, we'll remind you that if you contribute at the $10 per month level, you get access to our fantastic After Hours podcast, which is a separate podcast just for people who contribute at that level. Uh, We dive a little deeper into the uh, ins and outs of Star Trek and uh, while there's new series going on, we will tell you all the things we think about those new episodes. Stuff that doesn't make it into the main podcast. So again, check out Priority One uh, website and click on the big Patreon logo or patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's check it out. Let me tell you a story. A story about a pirate. A digital pirate. 
Many moons ago, when the general public was strong-armed into agreeing to ridiculous cable company contracts, bundles, and upsells, the digital pirate would stick it to the man by surfing the untamed web in search of desired content. Then, as if by some miracle of the gods, a company dared to challenge the status quo. This company would soon help the lowly pirate set anchor and hang their pirate hat. But the evil cable companies weren't very happy that this new trailblazer was luring customers away on the backs of their own infrastructure. Before long, the lowly viewer would find themselves spending nearly the same amount per month subscribing to Peacock's All Accesses, Hulu's, Pluses, and Maxes, and more. It wasn't long before pirates set sail once again to find their most treasured content. The end. Now, let's be clear. It's wrong to pirate your shows from torrents and other rogue sites, and we here at Priority One would never encourage you to conduct illegal activities. But what we can do is report on some interesting trends. In an article published in Variety by Jamie Lang, we get an inside look at what the hottest pirated shows are for 2020. Now, where does Star Trek fit on that list? Well, we'll tell you. From most to least popular, The Mandalorian, The Boys, Westworld, Vikings, and in the fifth spot, Star Trek Picard. Now, Lang points out that these rankings don't account for illegal streaming services, but we think this is a pretty accurate representation of Star Trek's market share as a whole. So this is interesting to me because as we have progressed through Season 3 of Star Trek Discovery, alongside of Season 2 of The Mandalorian, something became very clear to me that The Mandalorian was taking up 90% of my feed in terms of television viewing, television reviews, and whatnot. So I wanted to do a little bit of digging here, right? Obviously, right, pirating is not, you know, a substantial number that we all want to base the success of a, of a new television series on, but there are other markers. There are other things that we can kind of look out for. So the first thing I did was fired up my local library's access to newspapers like the Washington Post, the New York Times, LA Times, Chicago Tribune, to see if they were talking about Star Trek. Right, either Picard or, or actually Discovery specifically. And they're not. They're talking about The Mandalorian, right? They're talking about some of these other shows. But Star Trek Discovery was not on the radar of any of these major publications. If you do a quick Google Trends analysis, which is free for everybody, and you compare keywords, The Mandalorian and Star Trek or Star Trek Discovery, you're going to see a very clear trend. Every week that there was a new episode of The Mandalorian, keyword searches on The Mandalorian peaked. Star Trek Discovery? Barely. Barely. If you look at Parrot Analytics, which is an analytics company for that tries to measure digital content in some way, shape, or form, uh, Larry Nemechek tends to use this, at least he used to from time to time, uh, Star Trek Discovery was last on the list of all the digital content available in terms of its ability to generate excitement on online social media platforms and search engines and whatnot. Here's what I have to say about Discovery. I said this in After Hours a few weeks ago, that not only does poor writing affect, you know, the enjoyment of some audience members, but it also has an impact on the culture, right? Star Trek was a trailblazer on television in the 60s, then again in TNG, arguably Voyager, but definitely in Deep Space Nine, and Enterprise kind of pushed it a little bit. The Enterprise was safe, but Star Trek has always been, or had been, the king of sci-fi on television. 
And now suddenly, you've got everybody else beating them to the punch. And not just science fiction, but fantasy and other storytelling adventures like the boys, superhero, and whatnot. So I think that we we as fans should kind of take a step back, right? And look at Star Trek in the grand scheme of popular culture. If people aren't talking about it outside of our bubble, that's a bad thing. I think that last bit there is kind of the encapsulation of it. It's not it's not growing if it isn't being talked about outside the circle. What'll attract new investors, what'll attract new subscribers, what'll attract people to in, uh, create the show and enjoy the show is to some extent word of mouth, but to a larger extent amplification by people with platforms talking about it whether it's writing articles, whether it's uh, doing social media things, whatever, if it's not showing up on the internet outside of my CBS All Access subscription, it's not going to grow. And when you're competing with all the different services, all the different uh, IPs, unless you're collecting some mental market share from time to time, there's no expansion. Yeah, I mean, you can't really argue with that, though. I mean, it's it's the exact like supply and demand. There it is. Everybody wants to see uh, these shows, and and they're not seeking out discovery because you know there's no real discussion around it or interest, maybe a wider interest in it. While we're on the topic of the season finale for Star Trek Discovery, co-showrunner Michelle Paradise spoke about the third season's arc and what we might expect in season four with TV Line's Dave Nemitz. When asked about Michael Burnham's journey towards the captaincy, Paradise had quite a bit to say, including how audiences pretty much expected that's where she'd end up. But according to Paradise, it was all about the journey, saying, quote, So giving her the opportunity to come into this new future and be here for a year without the rest of our heroes on Discovery and allowing her to grow and change during that time and come back and figure out where she fits in, it felt like the right kind of journey for the character. It also allowed us over the course of season three to find new layers for that character and of course new layers for our amazing actress to play, end quote. But where are we headed in season four? Well, Paradise couldn't say much other than to try to paint a clearer picture about what the goal was for season three, describing it as, quote, all about connection and disconnection and finding our way back to one another, end quote. Now, what about that incredible quote from Gene Roddenberry at the end? Well, according to Paradise, its inclusion was a decision made during editing, a message to reflect our global state of affairs. Paradise goes on to discuss Stamets' relationship to Burnham after she tossed him out an airlock, whether or not Saru will return, which he will, and Book's impact on the crew. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. So it's funny because I read this article and what I found humorous about it was her her general thesis for what season three was supposed to be about, right? The disconnect and yeah, the reunification. I didn't, get, I didn't get that at all. I didn't get that either. And what's interesting is that I think it's funny in an ironic kind of way that the showrunner has to outline for us what season three was about when it really wasn't that clear, was it? The interviews continue with the leading ladies of Trek. First off, Whoopi Goldberg is kind of, sort of, confirming her return as Guinan in season two of Star Trek Picard. The reprise of this role is, of course, at the personal invitation of Sir Patrick, as delivered on national television last year on The View. Whoopi told SFX Magazine, quote, Hopefully I will be joining their cast for a little while next year. I'm very excited about that, end quote. And Sonequa Martin-Green sat down with Vulture to talk about season three of Discovery, and Michael Burnham's journey to the big chair. She says that this was always the plan, all the way back to season one, with every executive producer from Berg to Paradise saying, quote, 
Burnham would be on this journey of self-actualization that would also be the journey to the chair, end quote. For more about her views on Michael's year of change, and a promise that the Emerald Chain ain't going away next season, check out the link in the show notes. Yeah, again, I think that now what we're seeing is all of these showrunners and executive producers and actors kind of getting onto social media, and they're really trying to generate buzz, and then also, I don't want to call it damage control, because there hasn't been damage because nobody outside of the Trek universe is talking about Star Trek, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you would call this, other than them tr- really trying to help us formulate an opinion of what the season was about. I, I, I mean, arguably, the, the, what struck me is that they said this wasn't the plan from the beginning, and if it was the plan from the beginning, they just should have just done it, right? Right. Right. Like end of season one, just put Burnham in the center chair. I mean, I, I said at the beginning of season one, I want to see the journey of Tilly. I want to see Tilly go from ensign to captain. That's the that's that's a good story, and that's one you can unfold over seven or eight seasons, you know? Yeah, I feel like Burnham was prepped from the moment we met her. Like, she was the first officer. She could have taken her. Yeah, because even in the first episode, George O's like, when are you going to get your own, you know? And if it was the plan, <laughs> when as soon as Lorca went down, they should have just stuck her in the chair. They should have come up with some Captain Kirk Star Trek 2009 excuse to put her in the center chair. If this was the plan, they should have just done it. Instead, they kind of waffled over three captains in two seasons to finally, you know, put her in there. So. Yeah, but it's her journey. You know, it took a, it took a year. It, it, took, it took a year. And there's been some changes. And I bet Tilly's pissed because she got the promotion right over her. She was the XO. She was next in line. Tilly should have fought. You know, Tilly you should know have fought I, for I, as we t- keep repeating this, the joke, the inside joke that we have about it took her a year. I keep, a year. I can't help but think of something Jace taught me about Deep Space Nine, which was it, in my in my trying to formulate my thoughts about Deep Space Nine, Jace said it perfectly and helped me with that by saying... Deep Space Nine did a lot of telling and not showing, right? And, you know, when it came to the Dominion War, we got a few episodes where, you know, we were on the ground, like when Nog loses his leg, uh, Pale Moonlight. Um, but with with Discovery, they feel the need to cram so much in with what's happening in the moment in the ship that, you know what? I kind of, I think I would have liked a few episodes kind of showing us that year for Burnham, right? And what might have impacted her. Well, if you read the interview, she tells you that she has, like, a detailed list of everything that happened to her in the year. We should have seen that. We should have seen a little bit of that instead of this freneticism. Moving on to another iconic woman of Trek. Back in September, our favorite tap dancing doctor, Beverly Crusher, otherwise in real life known as Gates McFadden, announced that she will be hosting a podcast. And she's been really busy recording episodes. So far, McFadden says she's got episodes with Jonathan Frakes, Will Wheaton, Brent Spiner, Michael Dorn, LeVar Burton, and... And Marina Sirtis. Episodes are expected to start airing this month, but the podcast has yet to reveal its title. However, the company producing the podcast, The Nacelle Company, has produced several television series about pop culture, such as The Toys That Made Us and The Movies That Made Us. As the company name suggests, the CEO and founder Brian Volk Weiss is a huge Trek fan. Man, I'm real excited to listen to those. I don't know about you guys. I think it'll be pretty interesting. Yeah, if there's one thing about these podcasts that's going to set it apart from all the other Trek podcasts is that there will be a chemistry already there, right? there, It's not going to be a typical ask a question, move on to the next. It's going to be discussional. It's going to be kind of what we see at conventions, right? It's going to kind of what we see on stage when they all get together and shoot the breeze. Well, I, I hope that it's 
well, we've here's all that we already know all the stories we've told a million times. We've had all these discussions. Let's just talk about something different. Like hopefully, hopefully it's this is this is more along the lines of yeah, I haven't seen you all last year because 2020 canceled all the conventions. Let's let's talk because we haven't talked very much. Yeah, uh, I'm hoping it's more of an intimate conversation, you know, between friends. Like just we get to you know have a a view of these folks, you know, in their real lives and you know how it was like to be on the show. Hope I'm sure they'll talk about the show, but you know just a a different view of of what it was like to do it and on the chemistry side of things the guards will be down uh, yeah yeah they can they can edit stuff in post that they actually don't want to get out but when they're as they're talking the guards will be down so you might we might get we might see and hear different things because of that as much as we like to provide and offer our constructive criticism of star trek discovery and even though all the other shows keep getting snubbed during award season you're in luck because we give credit where credit is due and Star Trek got some awards. This year, the Critics' Choice Association decided it was time to start another, less boring award show. Called the Critics' Choice Super Awards, it was created to specifically honor favorite films and TV shows in the genre of action, horror, superhero, science fiction, and fantasy. The best part? You don't have to sit through a litany of technical categories. In fact, the only categories included were bests, movie, TV series, actor, actress, for each genre, Star Trek was honored with several nominations. The franchise itself was also honored with the inaugural Legacy Award to recognize, quote, the cultural impact it has had across multiple decades while continuing to appeal to and grow its loyal fan base with new stories and characters, end quote. Sir Patrick Stewart won Best Actor for Star Trek Picard, and while she was nominated for Best Actress, Senequa Martin-Green lost out to Natasia Demetriou of What We Do in the Shadows. Both Sir Patrick and Martin Green accepted the Legacy Award on behalf of the franchise. Stewart said that he and Green represented the heart of Star Trek. Though polar opposites on the outside, a young black woman and an older white man, they represent the range of what Star Trek included, every kind of being imaginable. He went on to say that in these times, the inclusivity and hope provided by the Star Trek universe are needed more than ever. They, they got the Legacy Award. That's awesome. The first ever. I mean, for a brand new award show that <laughs> cut out all the riffraff. <laughs> Just the best. Just the best. The Super Awards. I kind of get it, though. I mean, they kind of need a show like just like this because people sometimes still, even today, don't take genre shows seriously, right? Well, that's true. And they really don't recognize. I mean, there are some amazing performances on a lot of these shows that don't normally get recognized. Because right, I mean, it's just yeah. science fiction. You know, right, or you know. Game of Thrones. I mean, fantasy, all of those genres. You're right. Horror doesn't, you know, I mean, some of those performances are fantastic. Well, Captains, that's all the news we have to trek out this week. Now let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Welcome aboard, Captain. High score. From now through January 26th, Star Trek Online's having a party and you're all invited. No, it's not the 11th anniversary event, but you should really attend. Please, for the love of the great bird, show up for this party. Because it's not actually a party, it's a galactic red alert event. Every enemy of the Alliance is coming after us and they're not even bringing snacks. 
How rude. Like all repeating daily events, playing one of the five Red Alert TFOs each day grants progress towards a grand prize. This time, the magic number is 10 daily progress, and the grand prize package includes a spec point, ultimate tech upgrade, and experimental ship upgrade. Note that the Zenkethi Red Alert still includes a fail condition that prevents you from getting your daily progress. Also, the Tholians want us to know they're going gluten-free. So plan your snacks accordingly. Exactly. Don't play the Zenkethi Red Alert anyway. But who does that? I mean, just play the Borg one or the Tholian one. Jeez. Yeah, it's it's another grind. But at the very least, you know, it's for something that is has monetary value, right, Zen? In this it case? takes three minutes to run one of these. I mean, you, there is no way you could not be able to do this. And to get an experimental ship up. I mean, it's worth it just for the experimental ship upgrade. It's like, yeah, three minutes. Come on, you guys could do this. No problem. If you've been holding out for a physical copy of your in-game USS Buran, I've got great news. According to this week's PC patch notes, game prints now accepting Discovery-era ships and materials for export and printing. The full list of ships and material types now available will be in our show notes. There's no programmable matter option yet, but but really, that's only a matter of time. I gotta admit, this is a pleasant surprise, because in most cases, unless it is one of the updated versions of the ship that Star Trek Online does, like, kind of almost builds from, not from scratch, because they're building off of what we saw on screen, uh, you weren't able to print anything, right? But now you've got some, you know, pretty good options, including the Crossfield Walker. And the Baran and the Cardenas class and all these things that you weren't able to do before. That's that's pretty exciting. I love the Baran. I'm so going to order that. Well, until they can detach the nacelles. I mean, they're just behind the times. Ugh. That's all there is to it. Well, you know, that's interesting. I'm really curious to, to find out how these companies like GamePrint, who do their 3D printing, or uh, Eagle Moss... Uh, who do the diecast models? How they're going to figure out this this floaty thing? This float? I mean, magnets? I, no, because even I, yeah, I mean, you know, you see like the floating DeLorean, right? But this is two little parts, right? In a mag, in a magnetic field, all that stuff is just gonna go, you know, and squish together. I would assume. But my only guess is like I have a um, I have a little like set model, or I don't know. It was a collector's edition of of the Matrix scene of at the Chateau. Take a drink. And to simulate Neo flying or the kick in air, it's just a clear plastic acrylic stick. So my guess is that that's how they're going to simulate the floaty parts of these things are just like a thin, clear plastic acrylic connecting bridge kind of thing. I, I don't. Yeah. I mean, how is there physically going to be another way to do it? I don't have no idea. Fishing line. Yeah, I don't know. All right, captains, uh, before we move on, there is something I do want to talk about with respect to kind of the state of Star Trek gaming and what we might be able to or what we hope to look forward to in 2021. So last week, we had an idea, and we knew that we had a problem. We knew that we weren't feeling good about something, but we didn't have really anything to back it up with, right? So that thing that we were feeling was what some players would call burnout from Star Trek Online uh, and this 10-year-old game. But I would argue that for those of us who have been playing for 10 years and those of us who are feeling a little let down with the flow of content releasing for Star Trek Online, it's more than just burnout. In any MMO, right, there, you essentially have 
two aspects of gameplay, right? You have whatever missions the developer releases, and then you have the typical grind. I would argue, though, that Star Trek Online has never been the traditional MMO, right? Not only do we have two forms of content, we have space battles and ground battles, but we've also pulled away from the concept of the Holy Trinity, right? Uh, a healer, a DPSer, and a tanker. We have moved away from uh, the necessity to play in groups where a player can go from level 1 to, to 60 without ever talking to anybody else. So what is it that we as 10-year-old gamers for Star Trek Online might be feeling? And I think that what really pulled Star Trek apart from all these other MMOs was its dedication to storytelling. We were given an arc. We were living in the Star Trek universe and going on these continuing missions. Missions that answered questions from episodes that were one-off in Deep Space Nine or TNG or TOS or Voyager or any of the seasons of Star Trek. And here we are in 2021, and a lot of that has come to a screeching halt. A lot of that storytelling. I was so interested in this that I decided to put on paper, on, on a spreadsheet, and figure out how many story missions were released per year by Star Trek Online. In 2017, things came to a, to a screeching halt a bit with only six episodes. But I attribute 2017 to a couple of things. One, we got season 13.5, which introduced the Endeavor system, and Star Trek Discovery premiered. And I have a feeling that in the premiering of this new television series, Star Trek Online had to kind of step back and figure itself out a little bit. Then come 2018, we got 27 new missions. That included Victory is Life, the Dominion Tutorial, the Gamma Quadrant. We've got the season 15 Age of Discovery. And so at the latter half, the, the third quarter of 2018, I would argue that that was it. That was the last time we ever got a significant dump of new playable story-driven content in Star Trek Online. Because come 2019, we only got five missions total. Three of them were the Jaula Discovery Story. Two of them were Age of Discovery. Then in 2020, another five only. And I know that people kind of immediately want to jump to the idea that things came to a halt because of COVID. But I would argue that that's not the case. That come the, the last quarter of 2018, things changed. And my hope for Star Trek Online in 2021 is that we get back to not only the typical release of an item that players can either earn by grinding or by paying for, but that we go back to storytelling. I would love for arcs to happen within a year or two, not three. We've been doing this Jaula story since 2018. And in that time, have only really played about five missions in this Jaula arc. That's my hope. I don't, I don't know that it's burnout. I don't know that we as 10-year-old gamers for Star Trek Online are burnt out, but that instead we are wanting. I miss logging into Star Trek Online, and I am glad that there are streamers out there that are new to Star Trek Online and, and playing the game for the first time. That's exciting. But that's only going to last so long if they're done with the missions and there's still not new content to play. 
I thought they made a conscious decision to move away from like this big season releases where it's like a big like that was a conscious decision. They were deciding that they were moving away from that and moving to smaller, more significant chunks of releases. But from as a player's perspective, I don't think that's really working because uh, yeah, I'm exa- I'm experiencing exactly what you just said. It's not burnout. I'm just I want story. I can remember having these the same conversation more or less in during the content content drought days in 2011 and 2012, right? The dark- Dark ages, the dark times, uh, when they were tra- trying to transition uh, away from the subscription model to free to play and all that stuff. The story is what keeps Star Trek Online installed on my computer, and if there's not going to be that, then it's not going to get fired up. And that sort of crash halt where you would get high teens, twenties, thirties, it changes the cadence. You know, if you got thirty-five episodes, that's four play sessions throughout. You know, over the course of a month that you get in a year, right? Fly away and do some other game for a while. You know. If you're only logging in, if you're only releasing five episodes, I might skip. And this is this is what I did. I just skipped out on the arc until I had five or six missions ready to play. And then I went back. So that's a year that I went without logging into Star Trek. Because waiting until I had, there was enough there for me to like, you know, run through it. You know, and have a good, have a good chunk of stuff waiting for me to do. You know, Jamal in the chat says, as a mostly outside observer, Stowe was filler from CBS Paramount's perspective. Once they had their own content ready, Stowe's role was reduced. I would argue that Star Trek Online is in a position to capitalize on all the content that is being released by CBS Paramount, right? That we can, in fact, as captains, continue the mission. And for those new players, I'm sure it's going to be great for a year or two, right? And if that's their focus, that's unfortunate. If the focus is the new player, where they don't have to worry about producing new storyline content. I don't know. I, it's disappointing because I would love to log into Star Trek Online more than just periodically, you know, if I happen to want the ship for a winter event. But, you know, all we're seeing since since the third quarter of 2018, all we've really been seeing is ship promotions, grind events, and the occasional mission. Yeah, the parallel, of course, is the discussion we've been having about the uh, the library of stuff from CBS All Access versus the new stuff. You know, they've got a huge library of content that's there, and all they really need is some headline-type stuff to get people in the door, and then you say, but and look all this other things that we have for you. So all they really need is the occasional tease to get maybe a few people in the door, and then they try to keep them there with the library. And that can work. I understand why that can work, because all you need is just a flashy headline for one second, and then they've got 80 episodes of of stuff they can do. Keep them there. Keep the cheeks in the seats. Robert makes another point that, you know, some of these newer missions that have been dropped in 2018, 2019 were larger, longer missions. But those missions also included what ended up becoming patrols. And I did not include the patrols in this tally because the patrols aren't missions. They were, you know, they were the patrols of yesteryear, right? They were just adding to that. 
So yeah, the missions were longer, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they were moving the story forward. It's the narrative. And they've done, there's good work in there. I mean. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The Rekha Sharma thing gave me chills, right? I mean, and we all know which one I'm talking about when I say the Rekha Sharma. Oh, absolutely. That was great. They do good work. We just need more of it. Yeah. More frequently. <laughs> that's 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 the bottom line. And again, I, you know, I don't, I'm not insensitive to the fact that 2020, I'm sure, screwed everything up for everybody. But the plan was already in place. It's pretty clear. I'm yeah, I'm, I'm hesitant to lean on that as as the reason why things came to a crawl when it's a trend as of October 2018. Yeah, and we're not complaining about quality of life improvements. Those are very much appreciated either, but usually those things come with quality of life improvements. You get a big expansion and hey, we also did all this stuff. You know, that's your fill all button, which is the greatest thing ever. We should just go back and just like, you know, cut clips from our 2011 2012 shows and just play them and just here. play them yeah replay them here <laughs> we could do that we could do that. we love what you're doing with the game we just want more story we like what you we just like more story like you really want it yeah could we just do more of that please and thank you yeah i think that content drought year was 2011 right that was the year of the big content drought because it was the year after they released and you know that the, there's a lot of catching up to do but well and they had corporate shenanigans with atari and I mean, all that stuff. I mean, there's a ton. There are tons of things. Then they try to transition to free to play, and I mean, there's lots of stuff. And then again, in 2017, there were you know you had season 13.5 with the Endeavor system, and that only 2017 we only got six missions out of that uh, year. But yeah, I it could very well be that all hands are on magic. It could very well be that. I strongly suspect that's a that's a thing. But Star Trek, I really I feel like Star Trek Online is in a real good position to be that satiating. Experience experience for people who watch Discovery and are like, yeah, I want to go continue the journey and I'm going to play a game like Star Trek Online. And I'm sure that new players are experiencing that, but players like us, not so much. And they've already got the floating nacelle technology built into the system. So, I mean, there's, there shouldn't be any trouble, any trouble here. Well, here's the thing. They could do one-off episodes. Like, say you got to go on a mission with a co-op Malat. Like, that would just be one character, and you just did something random. You don't, it doesn't even have to be story-connected. Like, you could go do something like that and, and tie it into one of the new series. Or you could go to the future, because you have some temporal agents running around, you know, and, and do some of that. But that's illegal. Legal, strictly against the law. Well, okay, well, you know, whatever, shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, like I said, it doesn't even have to be story, like an overarching, you know, uh, serious. What if you just had random missions instead of pulling your patrols and TFOs from the missions? What if you did something else? Super fun. <laughs> this is all just deja vu to me. Like, I'm having, like, decade-old deja vu. Because these are the, I mean, this, no, I'm serious. We this is These are the same. Nah, but it's 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 different in that there's a trend here, right? We we now have a trend. We have history. Oh, we yeah, we have the numbers this time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we, it's been around so long. We can we can establish a trend line. Would you like me to play the role of Al Rivera here? That, guys, you know we can we can create content. It takes six months for us to do it. You guys play it in six minutes, and uh, you know the the economics of it are just really difficult, and to to get the resources we need, it takes months of planning in advance. And uh, God bless Al Rivera. He's told it like it is. For, for 10 years, every time we've asked him, he's always had the same answer because it's the way it is, and we have the same response, but we 
want more. Give us more. There was a time where we were just children and wanting more because it was 2011. The the, the game had been out a year and we were just, you know. We were so innocent. We were so innocent back then. <laughs> but there is a trend. There is a noticeable trend. There are numbers to back up what is happening. And look, this is all on, on Star Trek Online's wiki page, right? I didn't pull these numbers from secrets. I just put it on a spreadsheet to make it easier to read for me. But you go to Stow Wiki and you can, you know, they they have the release dates for these missions. So it's a good time to be a new player for Star Trek Online, but it's really dry if you are an old player for Star Trek Online. Yeah, we have some new players in our uh, Armada Discord and I, man, they're awesome because they ask such great questions. They're so excited about it. They're so wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. Yeah, and we're just like, here, have some stuff, you know, come, you know, we'll run missions, brah, we're all jaded, brah, you know, but I love the new players, I mean, you know, we, I love to hang out and answer questions and, and, you know, help them play missions, it's great, but, you know, and that does help bring some excitement back into the game to see it through their eyes, it's just, man, I, myself, I'm like, I'll absolutely help you, but, man, I don't want to do anything. Yeah, I think, I think Star Trek Online struggles with balancing, right now, balancing new players with veteran players. And Kat, like you said, you know, even one-off missions, yes, take time, but if the if the problem is budget, then I would rather, and I've said this before, I would rather the budget not go to an actor that it has a starring role in Star Trek. And like you, like your example, the Coat Milat, it doesn't have to be Gabriel Burnham. I, we don't need her to that to tell a good story. We went a long time in Star Trek Online without regular voiceover work from Star Trek actors, right? For my money, the Romulan arc, the Romulan intro, the Romulan expansion, that was really good. It was awesome. It's my favorite. And it didn't need it didn't need the the big star voices. It didn't need it because it just by itself was a interesting and engaging storyline. And there was a lot of it. And you you know it took time to go through it. Yeah. The the how Halcyon days. That, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking, you know, for, bring me some of that. That's the news from Trek Games this week. Now let's look on screen and see what's incoming. On screen. Computer. Set Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 13, The Hope That Is You, Part 2, on screen. The grand finale of Discovery featured everything we loved about this season. Huge interior volumes, whimsical disregard for military protocol and common sense, criminally underused supporting characters, and killing all the interesting bad guys. Saru quit, Burnham got promoted, and the nacelles got reattached for one brief and shining moment. The uniforms now match the badges, and the cat will probably be back for season four. This episode was written by Michelle Paradise and directed by Olotunde Onsunsanmi. It first aired on January 7th, 2020. So, first of all, I am pleasantly surprised to learn that Sukal was played by Bill Irwin. Bill Irwin is that guy who plays that thing in everything you've seen. Surprisingly, <laughs> he's never been in Star Trek before. But the man is an excellent actor, incredible on stage. I saw him with Nathan Lane and John Goodman in Waiting for Godot uh, several years ago before Patrick Stewart did it with Sir Ian McKellen in Repertoire. He's just great. He is absolutely great. And he manages to use the makeup just as well as Doug Jones. I mean, very nuanced. So kudos to him. What, a, what excellent casting for him. You know, overall, I understand what they were trying to do with the burn, right? to set the stage for conflict. 
I think that it could have been handled better than learning that this was a result of a child's emotional reaction to losing his family. As moving as that is, it just is very far-fetched, even for Star Trek. Now, I'm sure there are going to be long-life Trekkies out there saying, well, it's been worse than episode three of season two of TOS. That was a child that had superpowers. Oh, my God. Here's the thing, man, is that it's 2021. There has been new sci-fi that has broken better ground than what we've seen in Star Trek. So, I don't know. It just it felt odd. It just felt odd, that whole story plot. Also, not to mention... The whole thing reminded me of Fruity Land in from Rick and Morty. I mean, we were in Fruity Land. <laughs> that's that's what we got. We got Fruity Land. That that was fantastic. So I guess woohoo! Excellent cinematography. Although after a while in this episode, the whole rotating camera thing in the holodeck got a little exhausting. And in terms of writing, you know, again with the burn, you know, this disproportionate reaction from a child. I understood what they were trying to do with Gray, right? But the problem is that Star Trek Discovery and the writers don't ever give us a moment to rest, to just breathe. In the previous episode, when Stamets screams that his whole family is on that planet, are we supposed to believe that Adira is now their adopted child, so to speak? I never felt that. I never got that sense that they had developed this such a strong bond because we weren't given that. There was never an opportunity to soak in that relationship, to live in that moment, live in those moments like brushing your teeth in the bathroom. You know, the same thing with Osira, right? I can't help but think of Negan, the, the first season with Negan in, in The Walking Dead, right? Negan was horrific in the comic books and on The Walking Dead, a horrible person. But what we were given the opportunity to see was also his perspective right? That he didn't see himself as evil, but that he was doing what was necessary to survive, right? And so we didn't get that a moment to to, to experience that with Osira. And so going back to Gray, that moment when, when he appears to Colbert, you know, I feel could have been a much more emotional reaction for all of us if we had seen the more intimate moments that they might have had as a family. You know, because the moment that Colber sees Grey, I couldn't have been the only one thinking, oh good, so Adira's not really crazy. Although we all knew. We all knew that Adira wasn't crazy. We all knew that because we all know Star Trek. We all know that these kind of things happen in Star Trek, so we knew that she wasn't crazy. But outside in, again, somebody who is not a Star Trek fan, who doesn't have 60 years of content to consume, would look at that and go, oh, okay, so she's not crazy. Oh, good, good. So, so Grey is real. Good. And, you know, speaking of these Star Trek tropes, like, what was up in the data core with these energy fields like i swear to god it was like they were making fun of themselves and i was watching galaxy quest like that's <laughs> kind of what i felt same thing with the, the, the stamping metal things are, are, are there for yes, no reason whatsoever yeah yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so yeah so burnham is fighting osira they're in hand-to-hand combat and all of a sudden these energy surges are happening and they have to compete with that and it it felt like a tos episode and again it didn't have charm right if it, if that's what they were going for was the charm of the older series i didn't feel that with with this type of storytelling so overall i think that this episode if uh, trying not to to pull back and look at the season as a whole is really hard right because we're at the end but particularly with this episode i struggled to empathize with these moments that they were trying to force upon us like what was happening on fruity land planet and what was going on with you know burnham and book and osira really the only moments that i felt invested were the group scenes with tilly and the rest of the crew those moments 
felt a little more natural to me. They felt a little more genuine, and I enjoyed those. I mean, I mostly, I, I got to agree. I just, I think that we talked about this before. They suffered from trying to do too much, and amongst the many goals they had, they did not achieve many of them. We all saw what they were trying to do, and then they never, it never paid off. And uh, among their many goals, one of them was not to make a fun TV show. That is way down on the priority list. There's just so much that took me out of the moment in this episode in particular, and I, you, we can look back at the whole season, but there was so much that you look at the screen and you're like, no, they're not going to do that. They're, they're, they're not, they're not going to, oh my god, they did that. No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Like Jamal says, they had to finish the Die Hard trope. And it yes. wasn't over until Book kicks Hans Gruber out the window, out the turbo lift. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh my god, that's right. Oh, Jeez, it's Louise. just... <laughs> I mean, the guy had the same hairstyle and the same beard and everything, uh, even. Yeah, I mean, it's just... No. Wait, did Hans Gruber have a mullet? <laughs> kind of. Kind of, oh he my did, god. yeah. <gasps> what? Yeah. It I, was. Uh, yeah, it's... And uh, it, it's it, that that's the sort of thing where you leave that on the storyboard, right? You say, "Look, this is going to be the diehard thing," but you don't do a shot-for-shot shot remake of it. Give the guy a different <laughs> haircut, for God's sake. <laughs> Uh, and and uh, and it's one of those things where if the audience is into it and when they see it they react to it that's great but if they know it's coming and they're sort of like yeah okay get on with it get to the part where he kicks him out the elevator okay there it is it's just it's not a payoff it's it's a it's a payback you know it's like you owe me five bucks you're gonna give me my five okay thanks for hey this is four ninety five this is not five bucks that that's how I felt through a lot of it. Yeah, it just tried to, well, and there was, uh, here's the thing, there was too short a time to tell this many things and introduce a whole other show with Giorgio. I mean, we really lost time with those, you know, those two episodes. I mean, there was a lot and throwing that in the mix and trying to be so woke. Uh, <laughs> it was a lot to take on, and they could have done it with a lot more simplicity and and straightforwardness than than the, than it happened. At least they reattached the nacelles for one brief. There you go. Brief oh whoa! Happen. Oh whoa! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was able to crawl to the nacelle, which is no longer detached to put the bomb in there. Okay, so my favorite moment was Burnham and Mr. Sahil. I loved it. He I, they, see know, that that's a good that's a good callback, right? I loved it. That was adorable. You know, I mean, I that was my favorite one of my favorite scenes in the you know first part of the season is touching. I mean that that's where you're like it means something, and that's where it struck you her dedication to the ideals of the Federation. Oh, she reconnected with him. Yes, that was my now. favorite. My favorite moment. Anyway, it was really sweet. <laughs> oh my god, I just got that. Okay. Ah, you know what? You. you know what? Let's break that down for just a minute here, because if that were the thing they were going for, I did not remember that scene until until Kat just brought that up. Because it wasn't a big deal. It was just she was on her way to go be the captain, right? Yeah. Everyone saw that coming. She was on her way to go get the promotion because Saru's off the ship. Well, gee, I wonder who's going to be the captain now. We weren't looking for her connections with other people in the world because it's a 
all about her. And when the guy came in, it was just like, she's on her way to go do something else. And this guy just gets in her way. Oh, hey, neat to see you again. Yeah, great. Hey, you got your promotion. Hey, great. I'll see you later. Bye. They didn't play it for the moment it should have been. It should have been its own thing. And that, and that, yes, if their whole thing was about reconnecting and that kind of stuff, that scene should have been played much bigger. It should have been the moment in the series. It should have been the, it should have been the curtain moment. She should have gotten a promotion and then ran into that guy in the hallway and and then just well, skip I mean, over the whole. They open the series, yeah, with him right in his forty year. I mean, that's a huge thing. Well, anyway, I yeah. loved it. Yeah. I noticed it. it. I thought it was, it was amazing. A, that's a good bit, and it should have been played bigger than it was because I forgot about it until you said something about it. I mean, I got a little emotional about it. <laughs> oh, and you forgot the biggest thing of all, Elio. That she's a queen. Well, yeah. <laughs> and she'll be back because books not leaving the ship so we'll see the cat next season well because he's the captain's you know <laughs> yeah the captain's side piece hello hey hey, hey. You know, it's like it's like the mirror mirror the captain's woman the book oh. is the captain's woman that's that's right, right. The, from the from the tos episode yeah no but elio forgot the for the most important point of this is that that bill Irwin guy that you, you mentioned at the beginning who played oh, the super- it, yeah that's mr noodle from sesame street yeah <gasps> I, I, I IMDb'd him. I'm like, yeah, he looks familiar. And it's Mr. he's Mr. Noodle. Oh, my God. You know, I think back at that scene, Kat, right? Earlier this season, the first two episodes took their time, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing was rushed. Nothing felt like we had to get everything just had a decently slow pace where we were able to bask in the moment right that moment where she commissions him or whatever and the flag falls in the first episode i mean it was a very moving scene but when they rush and they and they do it to do it for the sake of doing it we get spock in a hologram his head as a hologram right and so they don't have that impact because they're rushing through it. Too few episodes. Something I would have liked to have seen this episode was Tilly kicking Hans Gruber out of the turbo lift, right? He assaulted her in the second episode. Why wasn't Tilly the one? Why didn't they let him get away? Well, I think Tilly should have. Well, I guess, I don't know. I guess the point was Michael took care of Osira, which means. Which means well, they could have let him get away. Yeah, he was a good bad guy, though. Yeah, let him get away. He was a good bad guy, and he was set up early. I don't know why they had to introduce Osira, right? They could have very well kept it him. Uh, Lawrence, you know, you bring up a good point. Lawrence in the chat says, so they need a longer season? Maybe it's a longer season. or they need to cut stuff. Well, I don't know if they even need to cut stuff. I don't know that they know what they're writing. I don't, don't like, and when I say that, I mean, what is their format? What is what is they, their they don't like? Have one. I don't know, man. I don't know. But Rule anyway. number one: make a fun TV show. Rule number two: everything else. They gotta stop worrying about being yeah. Star Trek and just worry about making a good show. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe they're worried about being Star Trek. Maybe they're not they worried about that. being Star Trek. Maybe they're not worried about being Star Trek. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Put it in the blender too many times. It's over blended. Prepe. Uh, look, I'll end with for myself. I'll end with this. If I were an investor. Right? If I was actually putting money into this show, I would be really upset. When I when I look back at my friend who invested in Disney and the Mandalorian and is raking in the dough, I'd be upset. 
And I don't, you know, the other thing when we mentioned earlier in Trek It Out, when we were talking about, you know, the buzz outside of the Star Trek circle. Look, I know that last week was a terrible week in the United States and that that dominated a lot of the conversations that were happening online and in publications. Absolutely. But I'm pretty sure that the arts and leisure sections continued. That wraps up this week's On Screen for Star Trek Discovery. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, hailing frequencies are now open and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. Last week, our first community question was, has Saru earned the same level of reverence as Kirk, Picard, Janeway, and Cisco? Hindsight is twenty twenty, folks. Hindsight is twenty twenty. What a question to ask after this season. But on Instagram, Soylent Blue says, Saru is one of the most interesting characters on Disco. But no, he's no Kirk. And <laughs> Soylent... No, he won't ever be a Kirk because he's not captain anymore. We didn't even talk about that. We didn't even talk about that ending, but we'll save it for after hours. Our second community question was, for 2021, do you want a new highly produced Star Trek video game or what would you want for new Star Trek online content? From Twitter, Sedaris writes in and says, I would be happy with any new Trek game. The only thing I wish is that the target audience are fans and that the developer team loves Star Trek. Alternatively, I would be really happy about a re-release of the old games on platforms like GOG or Steam. For STO, I wish they would go back to the MMO part of the game, having more group content in which you need to work with the other professions would be really nice. Smiley face. Don't they have that with the Star Trek Bridge crew? Some games are available on GOG or Steam, but not Yeah, you can get Judgment Rights and 25th Anniversary and stuff. I think you can get, there's a package on Steam, I think, for a reasonable price. And I, you know, I don't know that, Star Trek has never been a quote-unquote traditional MMO, uh, or, or, right? Because you've never necessarily needed a science officer or an engineer or a tactical to get your mission done. So it's never been that way. There's no going back to that because it's never happened. But I would argue that what we need is some creative storytelling again. Agree. Also from Twitter, Paul Sutherland says, Mirror Universe game with Captain Killy. Agree. So I said on Twitter, I would love to have a new Star Trek game. I would like it to be more in lines of a third person or first person action game, like the most recent Tomb Raider or Horizon Zero Dawn. Most importantly, have a game that is completed and not rushed out the door just to make money. Who is this guy? Can we never include him in feedback ever again? I don't know what kind of nonsense feedback this was. Never again. Never again. <laughs> he sounds fair enough. He sounds gripey. So like, you know, gripe. uh, Brandon, I don't know. I, you know, I, as you said, first person and third person perspectives. I don't know that that could ever work for Star Trek because Star Trek Elite has Force. always been a bit of an ensemble thing. Well, yeah, Elite Force, but it's it's like in one. It, I don't know that Star Trek would work in an open world environment like a Tomb Raider, right, or a Left for Dead kind of thing as the one person that is going through because. The, the Star Trek mythos is built on the crew, right? I guess you can have a Michael Burnham game. I'm going to tell you that Star Trek would work as a Fallout or a Cyberpunk or a Witcher 3 because you collect people. You collect NPCs. You collect sidekicks. You collect other people to interact with. That's part of the fun of those games is that other people are important. NPC storylines are important. You want to feel that connection between the people that are in your town or in your 
crew or barracks or whatever are there and that your choices affect them and their choices affect you. So I'd love a, I'd definitely play a, a Star Trek cyberpunk game or a Witcher game, but whether or not the appetite for the investment that that would take uh, is another story. Well, that wraps up episode 492 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all and share them with your friends. And we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like David K. Rutley, Peter Archibald, and Gerald Bosch. Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters, Anthony, Thomas, me, Gray, plus the rest of the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community, including spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Star Trek Online players, whether you're new or a veteran. Follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Captains during these difficult times were humbled by the continued support of our patrons who find value in the content that we produce each and every week. Find out how you can be a Patreon supporter by visiting patreon.com forward slash priority one. And don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, the guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to heroesrisepodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editors, including Gray, Brandon, William, Rand, Daniel, Roscoe, Lennon, and Skiffy. Thanks to our producer, Jake, and associate producers, Shane and Thomas. Together, they help us organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our social media manager, Anthony. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry, with support from Jason of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. But most importantly, a big thanks to you the Star Trek community, our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert, shields up. Engage. Engage. I don't want to read it because I just had a massive rant and it doesn't. <laughs> okay. I wasn't tying that one, but you I had a have. massive rant. I'm shocked. <laughs> what season three was about when it really wasn't that clear, was it? Nope. Nope. <laughs> really? No. <laughs> All right. There's quite a bit to unpack. I'm going to go first.
Oh, good. Can I go get a refill while you uh, unpack? <laughs> I was looking for my shovel. Do you need my shovel? It's right here somewhere. I'll be right back. <laughs> I can hear you, though. <laughs> so, uh, don't even get me... You know what? We're going to save the whole fucking... <laughs> Turbo the lift thing. The next part is just for the Patreon. We're going to save, yeah, the whole turbo lift thing. We're just, let's just save oh, yeah. it. Oh, yeah. We need Dr. Robert Jesus for that. For the turbo lift bit. The yeah. Turbo yeah, lift. Oh, definitely. We'll just, He's got we can just lots say, to say. Yeah, we can just say the turbo lift bit. And I think everyone will understand what we're talking about there. I mean, I think it, it, it needs no further dissection. I mean, it, they did it yeah. better on Monsters Inc. Like, we, we... <laughs> this is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.rottenberry.com.